Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Take your Bibles and open them to Genesis. Genesis is an easy book to find because it's right at the beginning of your Bible. So you just open that up and, oh, here's my, my kiddos that I'm praying for for VBS. I always keep them in my Bibles when I grab them and have my time with God. That They're right there, right there at the front. And so Genesis, we're looking at Genesis this morning. And we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Before we dive into this text and move forward, I just want to go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for this space, Lord God, and we recognize that we're not quite sure what took on, what took place here in this space before us gathering here. Lord God, we know you are the God who redeems things. And Lord God, we're excited to have this space redeemed for your glory, for your work, for your praise. And your exaltation this has already have taken place this morning. Lord God, it is such a wonderful thing to sing your praises. It's such a privilege to be able to gather together and do this with one voice. Lord God, I pray that you would move and you would work this morning in our hearts as we start this study in Joseph. In Jesus' name we pray, and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Joseph, a life on mission. We're looking at the last from chapter 37 to chapter 50, and we'll, this, this series will take us all the way up till we start Advent. So we're going to be in this for, for a good amount of time. I'm pretty excited about it. This, this series falls within our greater vision for this last year, starting from Easter Sunday all the way till next Easter. We've been focused on because he lives, we are sent. Because Jesus Christ got up and walked out of the grave, it then and took us, all those who believe in who Jesus Christ is, it means that we become a sent people carrying out that message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. So maybe you're wondering this morning, if, if that's the case, then Scott, why are we going Old Testament? Like, why, why don't we just stay New Testament, keep talking about the resurrection, different things? Well, one of the reasons that's extremely powerful for us as believers in Jesus Christ is, is our testimony, right? But our testimony is not just what we say, but it's also what we do. And as we look in, in the Bible the story of Joseph's life is such an, a great example in so many different settings in regards to what we should be doing as people of God. And whether you're in the Old Testament or New Testament, those people were living to profess who God is, was, and is doing. And so that, that mission hasn't changed now, they were looking towards the cross in the Old Testament, and we, as a New Testament church, are looking back to the cross. And so the, the message may, may have changed a little bit, but it was always faith in who God was. It was always about who he was and proclaiming that message to all the nations. 
Well, God's going to use Joseph in a very, very powerful way. But before we can dive into the story in chapter 37, I've got to give you a brief introduction. So we're going to briefly introduce the story of Genesis chapters 1 through 36. You ready? (laughs) Hang on. It began like this. It began in this serene, beautiful, perfect, holy, wonderful place. A place that you and I, I mean, we have seen some beautiful things. Some of the most beautiful things I used to see as a kid I remember seeing was the the Colorado Rockies after a fresh coating of snow. And I thought, man, is there anything more beautiful in the world than that? And and then another beautiful place that Christy and I saw as we were, I was getting ready before my deployment was Christy and I drove up to Whistler together and we got a little place and, and hung out in Whistler for a little bit. And on that drive, there's some lakes or some, some inlets there with the ocean and the islands. And I'm just like, this is, this is insane how beautiful this is. But those don't even compare until the garden, back to the garden. And, and what's crazy that I look at a picture like that and I'm like, man, I, I really want to just enjoy and think about and contemplate what it would have been like in the garden, but as beautiful and as serene. And even if I could gaze upon a perfect picture of what the garden was like, there's still the problem of my own heart that's gazing upon it. Because I'm still fallen, being redeemed by God. But Adam and Eve had pure hearts. And they were able to look upon God's creation purely, without any kind of shame or guilt. When Adam and Eve walked the garden together, there were no, we have an affectionate term in our house called MSs, marital spats. There were none of those. They were at peace with one another, and most importantly, they were at peace with God. And now that's hard for us to even wrap our minds around and think about, but that's what it was like. This beautiful, this perfect, this wonderful place where Adam and Eve could walk and talk with God. Casey, you got this sound turned up. I really want this to work well. But then this happened. From a spiritual perspective, a nuclear explosion took place upon this planet. I can't liken it to anything else. I'm a military guy, and I think about big bangs and explosions and all that. A nuclear explosion. Why a nuclear explosion? Well, Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God. And it devastated, not just Adam and Eve, but it devastated all of creation. Devastated everything. And This was the spiritual landscape that was left in the wake of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. I want you to think about that for a second. After their rebellion, this is what the future looked like spiritually. Devastation. Absolute devastation. And what's crazy about, if you've ever done any kind of study of nuclear fallouts and stuff like that, it's very interesting. In the Army, they tell you, if you've, you know there's an ex- nuclear explosion coming, you dive into a hole and you, you get in the fetal position and you stick your rear end in the air. 
And I'm like, how is that going to help anything? Maybe you just won't see it coming? I don't know. But everything's dead. Everything's gone. But what's amazing is God, in the midst of dealing the curse, in the midst of dealing like this is what life's going to be like because of a rebellion, gives hope, gives a path of redemption for earth that's been laid to waste. And he says that the seed of Eve will someday crush the serpent's head. And throughout the rest of Genesis leading up to the story of Joseph, God continues to give and reveal more and more and more about this this path and this journey of redemption that God will provide for his people. And, but what's beautiful, it's not just going to bless his people, but all those who believe in God and all those wherever God's people go, whoever are gathered around God's people, those places are going to start turning green because God's people are present in those areas. And because God's people are following after God's heart and in obedience to God and loving God and cherishing the relationship with God, other people will receive blessing. Other places will turn green because of God's people living out in light of God's promises that he makes. Our God is such a gracious, glorious, merciful God. And I want to begin there this morning because I think you may, and part of the story this morning, begin to wince at the idea that maybe God isn't gracious or merciful or glorious. As we look at the chapter 37 of Genesis. Hopefully you got your Bibles open and we're going to just go through this passage starting in verse 1. And Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. This is the story of Jacob. Now what's very interesting is the next person that's mentioned is Joseph. Joseph being 17 years old was pasturing the flock with his brothers and he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now what's very interesting as you look at this text, what he brought a bad report of is the language here reveals is that was a report not of, of Bilhah or Zilpah, but actually her sons. Her sons were being disobedient, doing something wrong, and Joseph informed someone regarding to their bad behavior. How many of you have siblings? How well does that go over when the youngest comes and shares that report? Not well, right? So it's strike one. And you got to understand, this is dealing with four sons. This is Dan, and this is Nephtali, and this is Gad, and this is Asher. So Joseph has moved up on their most unpopular list with those four sons. Now what's very interesting about this story is was he being a tattletale? Was he being a brat? What was his tone? What was the purpose? What were they doing? I mean, we've told our children that if, if, you're, if one of your siblings is about ready to do something that's going to hurt them or hurt someone else, I don't care. You beat feet and tell mom and dad. We don't know what the situation was. And what's, what's very interesting as we look at Genesis chapter 37 
Joseph is a very flat character in this. We don't see a lot of description about who Joseph is. We see more of a reaction to what he does. So this is strike one with Joseph and his brothers. We continue reading now. Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. Literally in your text here, if, the reason we get this many colors is from what we call the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, but actually in the Hebrew language, we don't really quite know and understand what that term really means. Rather, we understand that that coat was unique, it was ornate, and it was unlike anything that his other siblings had ever been given from their father. It was special. And it identified Joseph as the favorite child. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Is this Joseph's fault that he was born the last? Is it Joseph's fault that he was born in in Jacob's old age? No. That's just where things fall out. So again, Joseph, he's just, he's just this character. We're seeing this character going through this story, but other people are reacting to who Jesus, who Joseph is and what Joseph has done. So this is strike two for Joseph with his brothers. Now Joseph had a dream and we had, had told his brothers they hated him even more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Now before you start Again, judging Joseph, and I've heard some sermons on this, and I I tend to disagree a little bit that Joseph was being this huge braggart. Back in those days, dreams had extreme significant spiritual meaning. People shared their dreams. People spoke about what they dreamt, and they understood that what they dreamt was oftentimes from God, a message from God to them. And so Joseph coming and sharing his dreams wasn't what what ticked off his brothers, but rather it was the content of his dreams that made them hate him. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. The way that this question is stated, it's emphatic. Do you really think that you're going to do that? Do you? What kind of audacity do you have thinking that, We are your older brothers. You're the runt of the litter. And you're going to rise up and we're going to bow down to you? Strike three for Joseph with his brothers. Genesis chapter 37 verse 9. And then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. And I'm getting there going, yippee. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Holy cow. This just went to a whole nother level. 
We moved from talking about sheaves, so gathering up wheat in the field and tying them up in a bundle as a sheave. We've moved from what was gathered in the fields to now the celestial stars. The things from which the Jewish calendar is derived from, the phases of the moon, that, all of a sudden the sun, the moon, and 11 stars, dad, Mom and all my siblings will bow down. And the significance is not lost upon the family. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Again, this is emphatic. You don't really think this, do you? How stupid are you? How arrogant are you to think that this would even happen? Again, Joseph, all we're seeing, he is telling what has happened to him, to those who he thinks he needs to tell it to his family because it includes them. Notice this. It has moved from jealousy to hatred. Now some of you, or excuse me, from hatred to jealousy. And some of you may say, well, yeah, he was already jealous of him. But yes, now we've moved to this point where the jealousy has reached a point of action. They're so jealous of him in these dreams that they now must do something about it. We don't just passively hate him anymore. We don't just pick on him whenever we get the chance. Now we must do something drastic about this and take action against our punk little brother who needs a lesson that he is the least of us, not the greatest of us. Genesis 37, verse 12, and now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, another name for Jacob, God changed Jacob's name to Israel, remember this, and said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send, them, send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. Now this is very interesting. Joseph being of Possibly a little older than 17 at this time, but maybe not. He says his father, who used to like want to keep Joseph close to him, is now going to send Joseph on a journey that's 50 miles. 50 miles. Now, how many of you would have told your child at 17, 18, 19 years of age to get a backpack on and go walk 50 miles by themselves to go see their brother. I wouldn't. Some commentators view that there was a break in father-son relationship because of Joseph's dream. I need you to remind you of your place in this family. Maybe there was some contention between the father. We don't know, but we do know Joseph responded, I will Obey. I will go. It 
So he said to him, go now see if it is well with your brothers, with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? And he goes, I am seeking my brothers. And he said, tell me please where they are pasturing the flock. The man said, they have gone away, for I have heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan, another 15 miles away. Joseph has journeyed 65 or so miles to see his brothers. Joseph knew, I am very sure, how his brothers felt about him. To leave the care and protection of his father, who could probably serve as the buffer between Joseph and his brothers, now that buffer is 65 miles away, and that's, you're like, oh, that's only an hour car ride. Uh-uh, erase, 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 okay? Back in the Old Testament times, that was walking. Now, I've done a 29-mile road march over 12 hours. I've never in my life walked 65 miles. Joseph went and obeyed his father and found his brothers. Genesis 37, 18, and they saw him from afar, and before he came to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Remember their hatred and their jealousy. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. What has pushed things over the edge for Joseph and his brothers? His dreams. I want you to remember that as we move forward in this text. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And they will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see, see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, good old Reuben, the oldest Reuben, the oldest out of the herd. When Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and he took, they took him and threw him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum and balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, oh, good old Judah. You understand Jesus is from the line of Judah here, right? Talking about redeeming things. Listen to this next line. What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Hey, we're not gonna get any money from killing him. It's like a little money out of this ordeal. If we're gonna get rid of our brother, let's make a little profit while we're at it. Great brother. I'm not going to ask you if you any had siblings like that. We're just going to move on. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. And then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone, and where shall I go? And they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped in the blood. 
And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. What's interesting in this text, it seems that the way the language is working here, that they sent the robe out before them. Like the robe arrived before they got there, and so dad could draw his own conclusions, and the brothers wouldn't even have to say what happened to him. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. This his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. There's great irony dripping in this text. Some of you may be familiar with Jacob's story. Jacob had an older brother, Esau, and the birthright was supposed to be passed down to the oldest son, but Isaac, the father of Esau and Jacob, had very bad eyesight in his old age, and it came time where Isaac knew he was going to die, and he was going to hand off the birthright to his son, and so he told Esau to go out and slaughter an animal and bring it in and cook it up for him the way he liked it, and he would give him the birthright. So Rebecca, Jacob's mom, and here we go, favoritism again, right? She's the favorite. Jacob's the favorite of Rebecca, and she says, no, what I want you to do, Jacob, is I want you to go kill two young goats. And with two goats, Jacob deceived his father and got the birthright. And with a goat... Jacob's 11 sons deceived their father. Sounds like this family's in need of redemption. Amen? So what do we learn from this story? What is the message? What is... Why, why write this down? Why, why should, now understand too, is I want you to think about this text. Who wrote this text? Historians, people argue that Moses wrote it. I would tend to agree. And he wrote it for the Israelites while they were wandering in the wilderness. Why did God put it upon Moses' heart to write this story down and phrase it in the way that it was phrased? Are we to come up with some some answers in this and that uh, maybe uh, if you have dreams here, here maybe the message from the story is if you have dreams keep them to yourself maybe probably not wait maybe the message is don't let your teenage son go by himself on a 65 mile hike probably not well how about this this is truthful this is a good truth favoritism Hurts families. Is that true? Absolutely. If you were ever part of a family where you saw blatant favoritism taking place, it devastates, it damages families, and it hurts them deeply. And in this case, absolutely. 
Jacob giving favoritism to Joseph hurt Joseph and hurt the relationship with his brother and caused schisms with his family. But is that the message of this story? Is that at the heart of God putting this in the text? While I think that's true, and while I think that you can see that from this text, I don't think that's at the heart of the story. Maybe this one, jealousy destroys relationships. Is that true? Absolutely it's true. You know, be a jealous spouse, right? You know, if I was like jealous of Christy all the time and, you know, I followed her to work and, and, and I followed her to wish she out with her friends and besides me not getting anything else done, it would, it would just hurt our relationship because there wouldn't be any, any trust. But also jealousy hurts it in other ways and that when we want something so badly, the brothers wanted that affection of their father so badly. The Joseph, the brothers wanted those dreams so badly that it moved them to hurt their brother, and sin against God. It absolutely destroys relationships. But again, is that at the heart of the story? And I'm going to argue it isn't. And the reason I'm going to argue it isn't is because I believe Genesis chapter 37 is a chapter, Joseph's whole story, 37 to 50, is a chapter out of a much larger story. It's a chapter out of God's story. And why do I think that, especially in this portion? Because what is the number one thing that causes problems between Joseph and his brothers? And it was mentioned when his brothers were about to kill him and then decided to downgrade the pit and slavery. Dreams. Where did the dreams come from? God. God gave Joseph those dreams. And maybe, just maybe you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, now I see why you said what you said about God being gracious and merciful and loving. How could a loving God give Joseph those dreams which he knew would end up in his brothers hating him, his own parents kind of becoming nervous around him and him getting sold off into slavery? Because God is in the business of not just redeeming individuals, but nations. And God is going to use people's rebellion and sin and people's obedience at the same time for his redemptive work and his glory. He is going to use this, the sin of the father and his favoritism, the sin of the brothers and their hatred and jealousy, to propel, to launch Joseph from Canaan with his family to Egypt because God has a redeeming plan for Israel and a redeeming plan for Egypt. Now, what I find so beautiful about this text is before you think God is merciless and graciousless, what present, what gift does he give to Joseph before he's sold into slavery? The same thing you're thinking was a curse right now. He gave him his dreams. Because when God makes a promise, when God reveals something, he is faithful to complete it. 
Joseph was sold into slavery. Can't even imagine how difficult and brutal that was with the knowledge that God would someday reunite him with his family. And someday Joseph might have the opportunity to forgive them. And he's carried off into slavery. The promise that God is going to use this for his glory, for the good of Joseph, for the good of Joseph's people. Now, it's not fair. Most of us know the whole story. And I wish I could be like, have you all blind in here and you're walking this journey with me. But we, we know what's coming. And you're, you're, you may say, but yeah, Joseph is going to become the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Of course, he's like, don't even think for a second that his position of power was fulfillment of that dream. Because there's going to become with that position of power a very heavy burden. And we're going to see about that, like I said, when we get there. That's the hope for us. And I want you to see this today because there's something going on here. And, and I, I want you to have hope this morning that God is at work in the midst of whatever difficult situation, circumstance that you find him. And he is in the business of taking that burden that you're carrying and those the sins of other people upon you. And he is in the business of using that for his redeeming work to make you love him more to draw you in closer relationship with him. And what's crazy is not, not just gonna be a benefit for you, but it's gonna be a benefit for those who are around you. God is in the, in the business of taking the extremely difficult circumstances and making them glorious. And what's beautiful is he never leaves us alone. And for those of us who are sitting here this morning, yeah, but I feel really alone. I want you to know that if you're a child of God in Jesus Christ, you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you have the Holy Spirit in you, which is so much better than a dream. For the Spirit to remind us that God is with you and he can use this. He can even use this for your glory. For his glory and your purpose, excuse me. But before I close this sermon out, I want you to understand too, and, and you may have wondered this morning why Robert came up and read from Philippians 2, 5 through 8. I want you to understand that there was someone who is the greater Jesus. In Philippians 2, I had this printed out so that I could see it in large print. I'm going to have to turn there. Turn with me, if you will. Philippians 2, it's in the New Testament. There we go. Glenn just threw that up for me. Thank you, Glenn. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Why this passage? Because I want you to realize that there's a greater Joseph that is Jesus Christ. God sent his son. The father sent his son out. He became fully God, fully man, and he journeyed this earth. He walked amongst his creation. He became an infant, which is just mind-blowing, fully dependent on his mother. He was subject to abuse. He was subject to ridicule. He was subject to jealousy. He was subject to hatred. Just look at the Pharisees who were supposed to be like Jesus' brothers. The religious leaders were supposed to be like Jesus' brothers. They were supposed to have welcomed him. If they would have understood the Old Testament, they should have been, you're here. But instead, they were like Joseph's brothers. They refused to bow down. They refused to admit who he was. And instead of chains leading him to slavery, chains led him to cross. Jesus is the greater Joseph. He is the greater Savior of God's people. And it's because of what Jesus Christ did, we can have hope for what God has in store for us. Guarantee you, Joseph had no idea what the future held as he was being led away. All he had was a dream. Brothers, you and I, and sisters, you and I have the Holy Spirit within us, strengthening us, equipping us for what God has in purpose for us. And in light of this series, in light of this year, what we're trying to teach. I know going out and being a sent people into a community of people who are ambivalent, don't care, maybe hostile towards the gospel, it may feel like, man, God, you're leading me out away from what I know, away from what is comfortable into a foreign place. But he sends us out with his spirit because there are so many people in our valley and our community that need to know there's a God who is redeeming the spiritual wasteland. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. I thank you for the story of Joseph, and I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that is wrestling with jealousy in their hearts for what other people have, what other people are doing, wealth, possessions, jobs, the gamut, Lord God, relationships, emotions. Lord, sometimes we get so jealous because we feel so down and we just want to feel up and we want to feel encouraged. And we're so jealous of those people that do right now. And Lord God, even in the midst of those hard moments, you are there with us. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive us our sins of our jealousy. And Lord God, maybe that we've been a favorite or we've seen other people have favoritism and we know the devastation and the hurt of that and we need to be redeemed and healed from that, Lord God. And maybe some of us, maybe even this room as parents, that we're struggling with showing favoritism to a child because they're easier to handle than the rest. 
Lord God, we need to seek your redemptive work in the midst of that. And Lord, we need to lean into you and trust you that you could forgive us for that sin and help us love all of our children with the love of Jesus Christ. Lord God, we thank you that it, in these hard moments of facing our sin, in these hard moments of facing a community that doesn't know you, maybe we lean in and hear from the Holy Spirit and dwells us and rest in your strength and your goodness and your greatness. Thank you for not leaving us alone. Thank you for this community of believers, Lord God, that we had to go out with, that we get to lean on and, and be strengthened by. Your church, family of God. Thank you, Lord God, for your word. Use us, Lord God, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.